0: Funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together.
1: Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, the world's top court orders Israel to halt genocidal acts in Gaza as the death toll surpasses 26,000, but stops short of calling for a ceasefire.
2: But we shouldn't underestimate the importance of this ruling because there is now gonna be enormous political pressure on Israel to comply.
1: Also, the immigration battle continues, advocates band together and try to close
3: New Jersey's last remaining immigrant detention center. This is not about immigration enforcement. It's about health and safety of people within New Jersey's borders. Plus,
1: the race in the 8th District to try and unseat Representative Rob Menendez is heating up as the allegations against his father cloud his campaign.
4: At the end of the day, uh, we wear a lot of hats, but in a situation where family members going through a a challenge, you support them.
1: And nearly two years after the state's plastic bag ban went into effect, a new report finds plastic consumption is skyrocketing with the overuse of those reusable grocery bags.
5: This is why these types of policies are just the wrong way to approach sustainability, and, and we try to advocate for that any way we can.
1: NJ Spotlight News begins right now.
0: From NJPBS studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Vinozzi.
1: Good evening and thanks for joining us this Friday night. I'm Brianna Vinozzi. Israel must immediately take steps to prevent acts of genocide in the war in Gaza, that historic ruling today from the top court for the United Nations in a case brought by South Africa accusing Israel of violating international laws on genocide in the conflict. But the sweeping ruling from the International Court of Justice stopped short of ordering a ceasefire, which is what South Africa requested. The court ordered Israel to limit the death and destruction caused by its military offensive in the Gaza Strip and to prevent and punish incitement to genocide, along with ensuring humanitarian aid is getting into the enclave. The decision comes just a day before International Holocaust Remembrance Day, with many pro-Israel groups saying the decision cheapens the essence of the term genocide. But the ruling also operates as a restraining order of sorts, while the court considers the full merits of the genocide case. Experts say that could take years. For more, I'm joined by Kenneth Roth. He served for nearly three decades as the executive director of Human Rights Watch and is a visiting professor at Princeton University. <music> Kenneth Roth, uh, always uh, an honor to get to talk to you. What exactly, what exactly does this ruling from the ICJ mean?
2: This is a very important ruling, and it's a repudiation of Israel's denialism. You know, Israel says we're being completely lawful in Gaza, we're not doing anything wrong, um, it's only Hamas that does things wrong. And the court essentially said, no, that's not a fair description. Now it's important to stress this was not a ruling on the ultimate merits of whether Israel is committing genocide or not. This was an order for what are called provisional measures, basically a protective order, to protect the rights of Palestinian civilians to make sure that they're not compromised under the genocide convention. And the court found it plausible that they would be if it didn't intervene and so that's why it issued its order to that
1: it's a binding order but is there any way to enforce this ruling and i'm thinking of course back to 2022 when the court also ordered russia to uh, stop its invasion of ukraine we see two years later that war is still raging is there are there any teeth to this
2: Well, the court stressed, which is legally true, that this is a binding decision. But the only way to apply coercive measures would be through the UN Security Council, which means dealing with the US veto, and typically the US exercises the veto to protect Israel. But we shouldn't underestimate the importance of this ruling, because there is now going to be enormous political pressure on Israel to comply. Having sent its lawyers to The Hague and argued its case, it can't very well say, oh, well, we." Would have accepted the court's ruling if it was in our favor but we reject an adverse ruling you know that's just not going to wash and so i think you know the burden really is now on the supporters of israel to press netanyahu to live up to what the court ordered um, clearly biden has the most leverage you know 3.8 billion dollars in annual military aid the major arms supplier um now you know the u.s says they support a rules-based order you can't have an israel exception to that
1: What is this going to look like in a practical sense? So these emergency measures are put in place. Um, Do we expect Israel to comply? What have we heard so far from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu? And what, what might we see change?
2: Well, Netanyahu issued a statement, which was his typical statement. It was kind of, you know, a PR statement. It wasn't a legal statement. So he said, it's outrageous to say that Israel committed genocide, but, you know, the court didn't rule that. That's the ruling on the merits. This was just a provisional rule. He said, you know, nobody's going to stop our self-defense. Nobody's claiming they have to stop their self-defense. This is about the means used in that self-defense. And there really are essentially two key elements to this order. You know, one is to stop the bombing that is causing so much harm to civilians—you know, particularly things like these 2,000-pound bombs—they didn't mention that, but that was a key part of South Africa's case. The second is to open up and let the aid in. You know, they're clearly the court went on and on about the huge deprivation caused to the Palestinian civilian population of Gaza, and they basically ordered Israel to stop the obstructionism, to stop the—you know—the mere dribs and drabs of aid that it lets in and to open up the doors because otherwise there's massive starvation, massive deprivation, a real catastrophe, as the court said.
1: I have to just think about the gravity of this and and the history of Israel being accused of committing the very crime that's deeply woven into the fabric of Israel um, and the Israeli people, which is genocide. As someone who has spent their life studying this, watching this, I feel like we can't um, we can't undervalue just the piece of how, how heavy this is.
2: You're absolutely right, Brianna. And you know that was part of the Israeli defense, but it's completely not a defense. You know, Yes, Israel was created to protect Jews from genocide after the Holocaust. But um, that doesn't mean that as it's defending itself from the horrible October 7th Hamas attack, that anything goes. It still has to abide by basic rules. And the court found it was plausible that Israel was violating the genocide convention. And so that's why it issued these orders.
1: Kenneth Roth is a human rights activist and also a visiting professor at Princeton University. Kenneth, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Immigrant rights groups are joining New Jersey's legal fight against the state's last remaining detention facility. A federal judge in August sided with the for profit prison company that runs Elizabeth Detention Center, saying that ending detention in New Jersey would be, quote, nothing short of chaos. But as the ACLU and others argue, the state is well within its constitutional rights to shut them down. Senior correspondent Joanna Gagas reports.
3: This case really is about. Who has power over what? This is not about immigration enforcement. It's about health and safety of people within New Jersey's borders.
6: The case is between the Murphy administration and Core Civic, a for-profit company that operates the Elizabeth Immigration Detention Center, or EDC. Core Civic won a lawsuit in August that challenged a state law that prohibits private detention in the state. New Jersey's Attorney General Matt Platkin has now filed an appeal in the Third Circuit Court. States
3: have. what's called a traditional police power to regulate in the area of health and safety in order to protect their residents and people within their borders. And so in this particular case, the state makes clear in the legislative findings that the reason they are adopting this legislation is a direct result of the health and safety risks presented by immigration detention.
6: The Biden administration weighed in on behalf of Core Civic this summer, calling New Jersey's law unconstitutional. Now, 28 organizations have filed an amicus brief with the court in support of the Attorney General's position, citing evidence of abuse and neglect that have occurred in the EDC. People died while I was there and after because of neglect, and then they tried to say some story, like there was some poor guy who had a seizure, and they put him in solitary. Those allegations made by Yannette Calendario, who says she reported many of the instances during her 13 months at EDC, although we couldn't independently verify her example. She was sent to EDC for leaving the country on a business trip while her application for a green card was still being processed. She was detained in spite of a judge saying she should remain free. She says she too was denied medical care when she experienced dangerously high blood pressure after learning a family member had died. The officer added insult to injury. The officer shouted at me, I wish your hair explodes. Uh- I said to her, uh, you cannot talk to me like that. She says, I, this is America, I can talk to you however I want. If you don't like it, go back to your resident country. Civic offered a statement saying, our sole job has been and continues to be to help the government solve problems in ways it could not do alone. ICE regularly conducts both scheduled and unannounced inspections and audits at our facilities with its staff or with independently contracted monitors. Dominique Kilmartin is an attorney who wrote an amicus brief on behalf of Pax Christi, a Catholic human rights organization. They say the oversight is not enough and that the very nature of privately run detention centers are problematic.
3: At the federal level, at least, privately run institutions are not governed by the Federal Freedom of Information Act, FOIA. They are inherently motivated to decrease their costs and increase their profits. And our research shows that they implement cost cutting measures at the uh, negative effect
6: of people who are incarcerated and their health and safety. The 28 amicus brief contributors focused on the Biden administration's own commitment to ending private prison companies, yet supporting the continuance of EDC.
3: Although they have um, announced that they will no longer use private prison companies in the criminal context, they continue to use private prison companies in the immigration context. So there is an inconsistency there.
6: California brought a similar appeal to the Ninth Circuit Court and lost. So even if New Jersey wins this case, it could tee up a battle in the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm Joanna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News.
1: The fight for Bob Menendez's U.S. Senate seat may be heating up among political circles, but a Rutgers-Eagleton poll out today finds most New Jersey voters don't even know who's running. The poll finds 45 percent of those asked don't know or have an opinion of Congressman Andy Kim. He's one of several contenders vying for the nomination in the June Democratic primary. Thirty-eight percent of those surveyed were unaware of First Lady Tammy Murphy. Twenty-four percent were unsure of her. It means the two frontrunners have a long way to go in terms of building name recognition over the next few months. And that's not the only contentious race. There's a battle for New Jersey's House seat in the 8th District, currently held by the senior senator's son, Congressman Rob Menendez. This week on Chatbox, senior political correspondent David Cruz spoke with Menendez and his challenger, Hoboken Mayor Ravi Bala, about the rough-and-tumble world of Hudson County elections and how the federal indictment against the senior Menendez is playing into the race.
0: You are in one of the most unique political situations that I can recall. So we got to unpack a little bit of that. Sure. Uh, uh, first, the challenge uh, made by your opponent and others that you're in your seat now only because your father, who used to have the seat when it was the 13th Congres- congressional district, essentially handed it to you. Is that fair? You know, listen, we've heard that for for years
4: now, mm-hmm. um, since we were first elected in 2022. We have a track record now. Uh, you go and you look at the work that we've put in, in our first year, what we've built, building the team that we've built here in the district down in Washington, the work that we've done solving cases for over 1,100 families in the district, gotten right to work in Washington. We're proud of the work that we've done. Um, we've, we've dedicated ourselves to this role and that's ultimately what we will be judged on. Anyone that wants to talk about anything else is losing sight of the fact that we've gone to work every since every day
0: since being elected and that's what we should be judged on. I don't want to belabor this too much, uh, but you are the only one in the congressional delegation uh, who has not called on Senator Menendez to resign. Can we just safely say That's your dad, and and what else can we expect? Or is there some other rationale you want to present?
4: You know, listen, it's it's my father. And, you know, listen, we were talking earlier about being from Hudson County, right? You stick with your people. Um, And I think everybody deserves their shot in court um, to to present their case. I think we should reserve judgment of people. Um, That's not just for people that are your family members, that's yep. for everyone. We talk a lot about it, um, something I believe in, um, and he's hes my father.
0: Can you talk a little bit about, if, if, um, this may be an unfair question, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Uh, <laughs> can you talk a little bit about what the conversations were like when all this was happening?
4: Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, it was a fast evolving process. Right. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we wear a lot of hats, but in a situation where a family member is going
0: through a a challenge, you support them. So I want to start with the Ravi Bala rationale. What do you got against the congressman who's served the district for just about a year? Hasn't he done all right by Hoboken?
5: Well, you know, we um, have had a process in Hudson County of not elections, but selections. So it's not about, um, you know, whether or not somebody has been doing good or not, but it's about finding the best quality candidate and having uh, a choice in the district. Uh, We have not had a choice in decades for this congressional seat. It's been anointed by political party bosses. And this is the first time you're gonna see where uh, you're going to have a contrast between somebody who has been given a congressional seat by his father and somebody who has, ha- has an earned record of accomplishment uh, by serving as the mayor of a consequential city for six years and on the city council for eight years.
0: This has been a, a seat um, that has been thusly uh, handed down, um, you know, since the, uh, the the father of the current the congressman gave up his seat and Albio Osiris, his successor, was anointed. And I use air quotes there. Why haven't you fought the system before?
5: This is not um, 16th century England where people are anointed seats and they get passed down through generations to families after families. Uh, this is a democracy. This is where people should have a choice. This is where people should have the ability to judge people based upon merit and based upon qualifications. And that's what this candidacy is all about. Uh, why didn't I run before? Because I want to build up a track record, unlike my opponent, of accomplishments. I've done that through 16 years of public service, and uh, I expect to bring those experiences and accomplishments to Washington.
1: You can watch the full interview with Mayor Ravi Bala and Congressman Rob Menendez Saturday at 6 30 p.m. and Sunday morning at 10 30 on NJPBS. And on Reporters Roundtable, I'll be in the seat for David Cruz, kicking off the show with former Congressman Tom Malinowski. We'll talk his decision to endorse former House colleague Andy Kim in his run for Senate. Then a panel of local reporters break down this week's political headlines. That's Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 10 a.m. right here on NJ. PBS. In our Spotlight on Business report, New Jersey Transit is scrapping controversial plans to build a natural gas power plant in the Meadowlands. The plant had been at the heart of the New Jersey Transit grid proposal, which the agency drafted in the aftermath of Superstorm Sandy. The 2012 storm devastated the state's transit system, and the project was meant to keep power flowing to NJ Transit operations if the larger power grid is knocked out. Well, The agency now says recent resiliency projects completed by pse made the microgrid less necessary and will redirect more than $500 million in federal funds set aside for the transit grid to other system-hardening projects. Roughly half the money will replace the rail bridge over the Raritan River. More than $170 million will go toward a new rail yard outside of flood zones in New Brunswick. Environmental activists have railed against the gas plant idea for years, arguing it would undercut the state's goal of transitioning to clean energy and add pollution to already overburdened communities around the Meadowlands. Years after the state put a single-use plastic bag ban in place, there are still conflicting studies on just how much it's helping the environment. New research finds the ban did significantly cut down on residents' use of those plastics while also increasing the use of reusable plastic bags that could be just as bad, if not worse. As Ted Goldberg reports, advocates agree there's some truth to the argument, but the data was commissioned by a group in the plastic bag industry.
7: Nearly two years after New Jersey banned single-use plastic bags in grocery stores, people still don't agree if it was a good idea.
0: Results have been phenomenal. They have
5: contributed to more plastic being consumed and higher greenhouse gas emissions.
7: A recent study done by the Fredonia Group found that New Jersey has almost tripled its use of plastic since the ban came into effect. While the study was commissioned by an association representing manufacturers for plastic bags, Senator Bob Smith doesn't dispute that data.
0: It's a very small growing pain, one that we can easily remedy if if there's a feeling that we need to remedy it, um, if on the other hand it's the latter point that we shouldn't be doing, we shouldn't be banning single-use plastic bags, that I would fiercely disagree with.
7: Senator Smith sponsored the legislation keeping single-use plastic out of checkout lines. If anything, he says New Jersey should go further in getting rid of plastic.
0: We have to the envelopes more and get more and more plastics out of the environment. If we would take you to the nearest hospital and had your blood tested, what do you think is going to be in your blood? Plastic particle. All right, mm-hmm. so I have a feeling that in a decade or so, plastics are going to be viewed just like tobacco.
7: Until then, some people are left
5: stockpiling reusable plastic bags. We saw it coming and in fact, we actually told the authors of the bill uh, years ago that this is exactly what was going to happen.
7: Matt Seeholm leads the Plastics Industry Association. He says the issue with single use plastic bags is people not reusing them enough and littering. But he also thinks banning them outright leads to other problems.
5: This is why these types of policies are just the wrong way to approach sustainability, and, and we try to advocate for that any way we can.
7: Not everybody is taking that study at face value.
8: Over time, you know, we're not going to be buying as many reusable bags because they're going to be reused over and over again. Cindy Ziff
7: is the executive director for Clean Ocean Action and has a bone to pick with how the study
8: measured plastic consumption. You're then using that bag for up to 125 times, according to the New Jersey DEP. Each one of those bags, by definition, um, to be a reusable bag, should be usable, reusable for about 125 times, not the two to three that is uh, assumed in the study.
0: And
7: she says beaches have seen far fewer plastic bags, from Perth Amboy down to Cape
8: May. We are seeing remarkable uh, success and um, progress. Our data from Beach Sweeps 2022, the annual report found that uh, single-use plastic bags were reduced by over 37%.
7: Senator Smith says there could be more legislation banning single-use plastic this year. He singled out food delivery as a possible target, setting up another battle between industry and environmentalism. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Ted
1: Goldberg. Turning to Wall Street, stocks are on a winning streak. Here's how the markets closed for the week. And tune in this weekend to NJ Business Beat with Raven Santana. With recent flooding causing major issues for New Jersey cities, Raven talks to climate experts about the costs of climate change for businesses and how inaction at the state and federal level could damage the economy. Watch it Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. right here on NJPBS. And finally, the next time you're worrying about the landscaping in your yard, consider this. Exotic plants, which are most often found at nurseries, may be causing more harm than they're worth. Experts say they can burden the natural habitat and sever the food web for insects and other species. Instead, more emphasis is now being put on native plants, which grow in a region without being planted. It was the topic of an event by state and federal leaders this week, as they looked to native plants as one potential weapon in the fight against climate change. Melissa Rose Cooper has the story.
9: We're really working hard to bring uh, much of our ecosystem back to the way that it functions best. And Representative Mikey Sherrill believes native plants are key to making sure New Jersey's ecosystem is healthy. You have locally adapted ecosystem-specific NATO plants uh, in these local landscaping projects, make it so that we have better flood mitigation techniques, we have fewer invasive species, the native (laughs) species here thrive. Um, And it uses less water um, from our systems. The congresswoman is now pushing legislation focusing on nature rehabilitation and flood prevention. She says native plants are critical to the state's landscape. And there is currently no U.S. government-wide statute requiring federal entities to incorporate native plants in their building and landscaping projects and this bill would change that. Environmental advocates joined Cheryl Thursday at this roundtable discussion, emphasizing the importance of native plants, which are indigenous to a region and exist without being planted. Native plants are the crux of how we rehabilitate and reclaim ecosystems. Um, Without that, You will not succeed. And as the state continues to see increased flooding across communities, environmental advocates say native plants can help improve the negative effects of climate change.
3: Especially with the state like New Jersey, where most of our land has been human altered, right? Bringing back our native species is actually one of the best solutions that we have in order to have resilience against climate change. It's flooding, it's actually native plants, and I think. Some of you guys touch upon this. They have the best adaptability to changing temperatures, change, changing weather, changing climate, right? Those are the plants that are going to resist drastic changes in temperature because they're in their native habitat.
6: Below the ground is where they do a lot of the work that we care about. Um, so the root systems of native plants tend to be deeper in the soil, holding the soil together better. They tend to pull more of the pollutants out and absorb them. They allow for more percolation of stormwater into the soil.
9: So that is how we're mitigating that flooding issue. The roundtable discussion comes after Governor Murphy recently vetoed a bill that would have created a team to combat invasive species, instead diverting the task to the State Department of Environmental Protection. DEP Commissioner Sean LaTourette confirming work has been underway for years to tackle the issue. It is incumbent upon us to do that because of our changing climate, because
2: of our need to mitigate flooding. And our need to recognize that when we engineer
9: with nature, nature, it's more sustainable, it's cheaper, it's more lasting. There are roughly 2,100 native plant species in the Garden States. Environmental advocates say keeping them protected will ensure a more balanced ecosystem. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Melissa Rose Cooper.
1: That does it for us tonight. But don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Vinozzi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great weekend. We'll see you right back here Monday.
0: NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. And by the PSCG Foundation.